one quick thing before this episode. I have never dedicated a show to someone, but I'm going to do it now. This one goes out to Liz Asfordell. Liz, your husband told me that 2019 was filled with more coal than peppermint in your stocking. That's supposed to be a bad thing, but you might be allergic, so maybe it's good, but I'm probably overthinking this. But this one goes out to you, Liz, and here's hoping that at least December can be a bit jollier than the rest of the year. Across the frozen pond, a little overwhelmed. Till a giant sleigh arrives with Brian Blessed at the helm. I'm the ghost of Christmas shouting. Glad tidings do I bring. I'm here to prove that Christmas is a very wondrous thing. The sleigh takes off into the sky, the world gone topsy-turvy, pulled by a group of comedy elves, all played by Eddie Murphy. The streets are filled with people... Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. That old TBS Christmas Story Marathon and the Hallmark movie's assault of comforting sameness can teach us something important. Christmas is all about being safe, predictable, and wrapping yourself in a cocoon of sedating repetition. I mean, you're even supposed to make a list for Santa instead of getting something unique and unexpected, right? I guess the point is to shut out the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and the ever-looming certainty of your own death. That's what all the old traditions are really about, right? The days are getting shorter, but don't worry, the sun will always come back. Or, hey, you may die, but this Jesus kid says you'll live forever after you die or something. Now that weighs for cowards. Take some holiday risks. Decorate your tree with live wildlife. Skip the turkey and make Christmas dinner out of all the birds mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas. Buy lingerie for your aunt. Or at least watch some Christmas movies you haven't seen a billion times. My Christmas service to you is helping out a bit with that last one. So I talked to the guy who literally wrote the book on Christmas movies, Alonzo Giraldi. His book is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and he lays out everything for you to choose from. Each chapter lists as many movies as he can find around a single theme, like tearjerkers or Christmas horror or remakes of Dickens' Christmas Carol. But of course, my favorite was the worst Christmas movies ever, lumps of coal in your cinema stocking. And those are what we talked about. Hopefully you'll go check them out for yourself. Alonzo, by the way, is a film critic. He writes for The Wrap, and the guy is all over the podcast world as an expert guest, just like he is on here. He also has his own shows, multiple ones, but the one I listen to regularly is Linoleum Knife, where he and his husband Dave White, also a film critic, talk about all the movies they've seen in the last week or so. You can also find him on Who Shot Ya and Breakfast All Day. Before we got to the movies, I asked him why he decided to write about Christmas movies in particular. It was kind of a, a natural progression. I, I'm a lifelong, uh, you know, movie nerd obsessive, but also a lifelong lover of Christmas. Um, and part of what had happened was that over the years, um, even before the listicle sort of took over internet film coverage, I was always having editors at various newspapers or whatever say, oh, why don't you put together a list of like, you know, unusual Christmas movies or, or movies that people don't think of as Christmas movies or blah, blah, blah. And so I had done so many variants of that. It really had gotten me into some of the weeds of movies that, you know, don't make the obvious sort of white Christmas elf list, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, right. so I, I was already used to talking about, hey, no, The Lion in Winter is a Christmas movie. And, you know, Die Hard is a Christmas movie and Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. Uh, so I thought it might be interesting to do a book that really sort of cast this wide net where we sort of, you know, would talk about the classics and the perennials, but also sort of examine uh, the outliers and the ones that people might not remember are set entirely at Christmas or like have Christmas throughout it as a motif or a subplot or whatever. But they just, you know, because it's a 
it's a noir film or a horror film or or whatever. They don't necessarily think of it as something to gather around the the hearth to watch every December. Right. And you've got Die Hard on the cover of your book. Yeah, I just wanted to get that right out there. <laughs> and this was, you know, 2010 before like it had really become this sort of annual, like, you know, bugaboo on the Internet to get into this topic. But, yeah, I just wanted to be like, this is a book that has Die Hard in it. This is the kind of Christmas movie book you are picking up. And it makes sense because you've got a lot of things in here that aren't what you would normally think of. You know, it's fun. Like just for example, Eyes Wide Shut. We we uh, on on another show I do um, on Who Shot You. We did an episode about the 20th anniversary and watching that again. That movie has more like peripheral Christmas doodads on the walls and you know on the shelves in every single room. It's like watching a Hallmark movie in a way in that. Those movies have to cram Christmas into every frame, and Kubrick mm -hmm. is doing the same thing. And I hadn't noticed that, to be honest. Even with my sort of Christmas obsession when I first saw it back in the day in the theater, which yeah. is the only time I've seen it, but I, it didn't really click. Oh, when, when you revisit it, you'll be gobsmacked at how freaking Christmassy it is. And I have to. I definitely have to. <laughs> and I can tell from Linoleum Knife that your husband definitely does not share the same Christmas bug that you do well here's the thing he he loves the holiday like the, he and i've always had that in common and and he was totally down for when i was researching the christmas book and watching you know old versions of a christmas carol in july or whatever like he's fine with that what he does not like is the hallmark movies specifically like gotcha okay they're total junk and you know he's not wrong but i they are my xanax at this uh, troubling time in history <laughs> and you know i get i get my own pleasures out of them that he does not particularly, you know, uh, glean from those films. I understand. And I got to admit, I'm with him on that because that's I've I've seen a few of them. It's just not something I can I, I just don't have that same. I don't know. That to same totally comfort fair. level that I think people have. He, he, I understand he, it. No, no, no. Well, he once he once made the joke that like you know that I I had screwed myself on this because in doing the book I watched all of the really good Christmas movies and now you know to 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 satisfy my my Jones I, I have to turn to the methadone of, of holiday cinema which is the Hallmark <laughs> movie. Well, and you did go to the the Christmas conference too, the very first Christmas con, right? Yeah, Christmas con in in New Jersey. It was uh, uh, stunning. I mean, uh, it, it's weird because like you know I I think of myself as this. You know, I, I know that clearly somebody out there is watching Hallmark Christmas movies all year or they mm -hmm. wouldn't show them all year. Right. But it's just interesting to be in a room with other people who are as into them, if not way more so than you are. Um, you know, there was a whole segment of it that was strictly about, like, get your autograph from, you know, Lacey Chabert or Danica McKellar and take a picture and do a selfie and all that stuff. And, and that was a, a hugely popular part of the con. It wasn't really what I was there for, but I was really thrilled to see how much interest there was in the panels uh, that I moderated, which were not star focused. Um, I did one with uh, Christmas podcasters like the deck, the Hallmark guys and mm -hmm. uh, Tim Babb from can't wait for Christmas and uh, 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 Brian Earl from Christmas past and the, the, you know, Jackson Charles from bubbly session. Somebody who's there from after buzz TV. That was a really interesting conversation. And I had a great conversation with uh, it was, it was me and Joanna Wilson who did the, the tis the season TV books and then three women who write Hallmark movies. And you know, they were very blunt and straightforward about like, you know, you have to have this, you have to have this. There is a checklist of, you know, got to have that tree lighting and the cookie decorating and the, you know, all right. that kind of stuff. You know, one of them had just written um, 
a Lifetime movie that aired this past weekend called Christmas in Louisiana uh, that features at its center an interracial romance. And she says that's something that Lifetime will do that Hallmark is not there yet, mm. you know. Um, so it was not, you know, it, it, was, it was not like puffery. They were, they were really kind of doing some real talk about this stuff and big audiences for both of those. So, you know, yeah, it, a lot of it was just kind of a con thing of people wanting to, to meet the stars, but there was, I think real interest in, you know, the larger aspects of Christmas entertainment and, because this one did so well, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these. I'm already hearing about, I mean, there was already Christmas land experience that's coming up in December in LA, but like they've already announced the July event in Nashville and Christmas con next year, I think is going to have a New Jersey and an LA version. So wow. um, this is an idea whose time has come apparently. And the con wasn't actually put on by Hallmark, right? Or no, it no, was, no. They, I know they, it was four guys uh, for women. For, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, it was more women who were who were fans of this and thought, "Why is there not a con for this?" And and you know that's a really good question. And so they right. made one, and then yeah, Hallmark did come in eventually as a sponsor. And once they had sort of put their name on it, and and that made a lot of press outlets you know pick it up and talk more about it. And then bam, it sold out. Um, but yeah, it was not Hallmark did not initiate this thing. They but they did come in to, to sponsor it. I wouldn't be surprised if if they try and come up with their own version of this. You know, given you know what they've got but like right. you know at christmas con they had you know they had melissa joan hart they had jack a who don't necessarily you know they do a lot of stuff for lifetime and other channels so um i think there's a way to do this that is beyond just the hallmark brand but certainly if hallmark wanted to do it they've got the resources and the talent to to you know make it happen that's great. So we've mentioned your book already, but it's organized by different topics. Yeah. And the one we're focusing on, which totally makes sense, is um, the worst Christmas movies ever <laughs> or the worst Christmas ever. Lumps of coal in your cinema stocking. And there are a couple that I had never heard of before. One was Get Yourself a College Girl, which mm -hmm. I think is one of those that's not fully Christmas, but is set at Christmas. Get loving. Get laughing. Get happy. <laughs> And get yourself a college girl, a well-read book of knowledge girl. She's a woman of the world. Uh, get yourself a college girl kind of fits in the category of it's sort of like uh, I think the, you know I guess it all ground zero for this would be uh, the original beach party with Frankie and Annette, where you would basically have like uh, teenagers sort of romping in a. Uh, you know, in a, in a resort space somewhere. And, you know, you find an excuse to th throw in like three or four of the hottest bands of the day. And then that becomes a movie. So uh, instead of going to the beach, get yourself a college girl has uh, college students going to a ski resort. There's a whole long contrived subplot about how one of the co-ed girls uh, is uh, on the side um, writing uh, uh, like, you know, uh, salacious pop songs and, you know, whether or not if anybody finds out, is she going to get thrown out and there's somehow like a senatorial campaign involved? I don't even know. But <laughs> the uh, if you're there for the uh, for the bands, uh, you know, you've got the Dave Clark Five, you've got the Animals. I think the only movie or like big screen appearance of the legendary Astrid Gilberto singing the girl from Ipanema with the Stan Getz quartet backing her up. So that part is cool. And uh, because this was a major studio movie and not like from, you know, American International Pictures or whatever, um, there is a somewhat higher level of gloss. You have, you know, Sidney Gileroff doing the hairstyles or whatever, but um, it's a pretty rock stupid movie. <laughs> 
and that one I was going to talk about, but I just, in, in the end, I was like, ah, yeah, the Christmas is, it's there as an excuse to get the, get the bands going in the little sixties ish swimsuits on screen. Yeah. So, but if you're a fan of like vintage sweaters, you're going to see a lot of them. Right. Right. The other one I thought about talking about was Santa and the ice cream bunny, Ooh. but um, I know Rift tracks has done that one. That one I know back even cause I was big into mystery science theater forums, even back in the day. And they, mm -hmm. that was the one that people would constantly try to get them to do and i don't know if they never did because they just thought that comedy central or the sci-fi channel just wouldn't wouldn't air it like it was too bad that they thought it wasn't good or they couldn't get the rights or something like that, that. would have been that would have been heavy lifting for them for sure yeah. i i did i i i will say that i did find that book sorry that movie independently in my book research and i think my book hit around the time the rift tracks thing did and i was like okay this is it's in the ether we've all found santa and the ice cream bunny <laughs> and that one's is just surreal i mean we're going to talk uh, the santa claus movie we're going to talk about has definitely its own take on the santa myth but this one just goes in so many different directions with yeah the ice cream bunny not the easter bunny but the ice cream bunny and odd flashback stories and and sort of yeah. little tales in between and a whole middle chunk a, that has nothing to do with any of the rest of the film yeah and most of the film is just santa sweating on the beach with his sleigh stuck and yeah. kids coming around trying to get him out and him telling stories yeah it, it, just, it is it is florida movie in the way that there is a florida man right <laughs> that's actually right that's actually right so well we had decided to talk about three yeah three ones that people may not know about i actually learned about two of them from mystery science theater and riff tracks which I've been a huge fan of forever. Yes. They 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 definitely turned me on to a couple I didn't know. So yeah, and a lot. I mean, loads of really bad stuff, especially the Rift Tracks guys who are kind of the offshoot. Um, once Mystery Science Theater ended, a handful of them got together to do something. They found some amazing Christmas shorts, uh, yes. like little small pieces. And so this is just a total unasked for plug for them. But they're they're a great place to go find some crazy old things and they do a, an annual fathom event that's a christmas thing that's usually mm -hmm. pretty fun i've been to one or two of those and yeah uh, even for it, it's amazing you know i i love the fact that santa claus conquers the martians is in the public domain because there has been a mystery science theater episode about it a rift tracks episode about it and a cinematic titanic episode about it mm -hmm. none of which repeat jokes like they they've yeah. managed to figure out a way to find enough material in there that they don't have to like retread the same stuff Right. Well, so yeah, so we were going to talk about three in particular. Um, then the one I want to start with is the Santa Claus Mexican movie, Yeah, which I know actually a lot of people still watch legitimately and is still on played in Mexico. Straight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a friend who still sees it every year, and, and he's always got to text me every time it comes on. He's like, guess what I'm watching? Because he knows how much I love that movie. And it amazes me that it's still sort of played straight. Uh, because it's really hard, even even if I didn't have the Mystery Science Theater context around it, so much of the things that happen in there are just so not cinematic or even TV movie level sense. I have a strange relationship with this film because I, I was introduced to it by Mystery Science Theater and <laughs> thought of it as just being kind of, oh, this this silly, what the hell is even going on movie, like, you know, Satan and Merlin and, you know, all this other stuff that's happening. But now when I watch it, I almost feel like 
Yeah, I, I've, and I've seen it so many times, you know, over the last, uh, you know, 15 or so years. It, 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 it almost feels like this is a movie that is operating on kind of a Buñuel level of surrealism. It's like <laughs> baby's first psychedelia or whatever, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's nuts. And I think you can pick it apart and be like, this makes no sense. This is ridiculous. What were they thinking? But as a whole... It, you know, I, I almost kind of regret putting it in the worst chapter because I, I think now as a whole, it is, it's a movie that works unto itself. Like it does yeah. at least follow its own baffling internal logic, you know? Um, and obviously the, 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 the fact that it's, you know, we're used to seeing it with the rather cheesy and like, you know, American overdub narration and stuff kind of right. adds a whole other level of, of weirdness. Um, Thankfully, living in L.A., uh, you know, there there were there are local Spanish TV stations that would air it. And so I finally got to see the original version before they finally put out that beautiful Blu-ray, uh, mm-hmm. which makes the movie look mm-hmm. just it's a it's a much cleaned up, you know, print and it's restored and everything. And you can watch it with the original Spanish language soundtrack if you want. And yeah, and, and it actually feels like I don't know, in some ways there's something about it that having Santa with a an antagonist like that actually fits a lot more of the old sort of St. Nick kinds of legends. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, kind of, I mean, he's not, I don't know of any actual devil, but of course Krampus is coming back and, totally. and people know a whole lot about connect Ruprecht or Belsnickel or all these other sort of darker or slightly more frightening creatures. So in, in that sense, there is something traditional yeah. about it, but yeah. And just so I just guess so people know, if you haven't seen it, the story of the movie is, Basically, that Satan sends a devil to mess with Chris with Santa Claus over Christmas, and at the same time, you're sort of following a handful of kids as they get caught up in what's going on. Stop! I, Lucifer, King of Hades, command you to stop and disappear. Be gone, all of you, except Pitch. You, Pitch, chief of all my demons, must listen closely. The time is almost here when you must abandon the brimstone pits and journey up to Earth. But this time you must not fail as you've done in the past. You must not be defeated by that bearded old ghost, Santa Claus. If you do not succeed in making all the children of the Earth do evil, you shall be punished. And instead of bread hot cold, you will eat chocolate ice cream. No, no, Lucifer, king of all the evil spirits. Not that. Now, I say plot. There's, there's n- Most of it is sort of little scenes where you get to see things into the North Pole. Um, little scenes of sad little Lupita, who's the young little poor girl who just keeps saying, oh, Santa will bring me the dolly that I want. A heartbreaking um, performance, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. And she is adorable, I have to say. She is totally adorable. Uh, and she does end up getting a little dolly at the end. Uh, she gets an enormous dead. dolly at the end. Right, right. That's the, I remember the, the line in Mystery Science Theater, that's not a doll, that's a sister. <laughs> exactly. Mama, I saw Santa Claus. I'm very happy again. He's going to stay and talk to me for a very long time because his white reindeer would turn into powder. Dear darling, yes. But now go back to sleep. It is very late. Just go ahead and think of all those wonderful things. And was I just dreaming, Mama? Dreaming that he left me a dolly outside in the patio? Maybe next Christmas. Not this one. But he said he was a beautiful darling. 
but so yeah and so she almost gets tempted by the devil uh but the devil is named pitch and he's sort of this you know goofy slapsticky devil who tries to outsmart santa and santa outsmarts him and in silly little ways like you know setting a doorknob on fire or getting it really heated up or something like that well yeah i mean you, you can tell that the 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 filmmaker uh, uh renee cardona who was most famous i think for doing a lot of the like the the you know, like wrestling women versus the aztec mummy is probably his most famous movie in the u.s um you know he is trying to give kid audiences like here's here's the mechanics of how santa works you know and and so he's he's both trying to like make a legend into something sort of practical and work a day but also doing it on like a limited budget so you know real reindeer were out of the question so santa has toy reindeer that you wind Mm -hmm. up even though the results are very creepy and unsettling terrifying you know yeah (laughs) he he wasn't he couldn't get you know like dozens and dozens of little people to play elves so children live at the north well no sorry we're not in the north pole we're on a cloud by the moon where santa Mm -hmm. lives like it's it's yeah on the one hand there's this notion of like i I think santa movies are always really tricky i was just talking about this when i reviewed uh the netflix movie klaus where if you get too much into the granular you know it kind of strips away some of the magic of it but then also if you make the entire movie contingent about whether or not you believe in santa claus i think you sort of paint yourself into kind of a theological corner but um right you know this one i think is at least trying to sort of split the difference and it's like look we know santa's real and here's how it works and and so they they are trying to be fantastical and magical about things but at the same time again it's they're trying to do that on the cheap but they do pull in all this other mythology you've got merlin out of the arthur legend you have um Vulcan, who makes the magic key that allows Santa to open any door, uh, you know, so that's out of like you know Roman mythology or whatever. So yeah, there, there's this there's this whole weird mix of stuff, and then you've got the devil. There's this kind of like it sort of flirts with the idea of Catholicism early on. You see Santa setting up his crash just as right. a reminder. No, 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 Jesus is still the reason for the season, but now here's two hours about Santa. Um, you know, uh, it, it's. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, but right. I, I think that's why it it lend, loans itself to multiple viewings because there's a lot to take in and there's a lot that you're just like still trying to figure out what were they even thinking. Right. And there are oddly really moving little parts of it too. Like we mentioned Lupita and her sad little story. and But there's also one little boy, he's a rich boy, but uh, his parents like literally ignore him. Yeah. <laughs> like they'll, they'll like put him to bed and be like, all right, we're going out, you know? <laughs> so they just completely leave him at home on Christmas Eve. And he has a little dream where all he wants are his parents to love him. And so there are two giant boxes and his parents step out of them and just, you know, it's just this sad little but it's actually strangely moving. Yeah, no, no, it is this sort of craving for like attention and just you know yeah. to, to, for them to 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 include him in their lives. And so Santa offers that gift, by the way, by going to the nightclub where the parents <laughs> are and sprinkles some drug in there, or what is I forget what he actually the calls cocktail it. of so, remembrance. <laughs> that's what it is. Yep. And so they have this drink, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we have a child," and then they go home. <laughs> well, it's this whole. We, I mean, again, and I think the translation makes it complicated, but he gives yeah. this whole weird speech about how like it makes you remember the person you love and if you didn't love somebody it would burn when you drank it but then they don't really drink it because they realize that they do love their kid and then suddenly santa's gone and you only see his hand on a tray anyway and uh, yeah it's yeah it's it's it's, it's bananas but you're right the, 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 the thing with the kid and the, the performance that the kid gives is quite moving that's a strange cocktail isn't it 
It's the cocktail of remembrance which only I can prepare. Whoever drinks it will think of that which is most dear and which at times, for some unknown reason, we seem to forget. Very possibly we've forgotten someone we love. Love can be expressed in many ways, but the truest love is that which we give without expecting anything in return. The greatest reward for those who love sincerely is love itself. So drink my cocktail and you will become aware of that love which is closest to your hearts. And those without love? They couldn't drink this cocktail as it would burn their throats. Now that's strange. Where'd he disappear to? I don't think he was just a waiter. Now that's strange. I suddenly have an urge to see our little boy. And the only other thing that really still I don't quite understand about it is there's a whole scene near the beginning where, like you said, instead of elves, Santa's got a bunch of kids who help him. But apparently they all hang out in this one room that uh, has sort of stereotyped little areas of their country. Yeah, it, it, everyone is, everyone's dressed for a heritage parade. You know? Exactly, yeah. And some of it makes sense, and um, others of it are just, yeah, it's, it's at this point... It's, it's what Disney Plus would call outdated cultural reference. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So Definitely worth a watch, but that's one of my, actually, that's something that my kids know because I watch it every year, both with and without the commentary. So my kids actually know it, know that one back and forth. But I think probably to them, they think it's just a regular Christmas movie. Well, that, that's the thing. I, I think uh, so, so much about the movies that we come back to at Christmas time are things that we loved when we were children. And so if this airs on TV in Mexico every year, which I believe it does, I know for a long mm-hmm. time it was also in the, at least in the Southwestern United States, it would pop up in those kitty matinee screenings every December. Um, you know, in like local theaters, I had a friend who grew up in Texas who said she saw it multiple times as a kid. Um, you know, you just sort of take that in as a, as a version of the Santa story. And then you just, you know, watching it again as an adult is more about nostalgia, you know, I mean, I think we have yeah. in the U.S. A lot of us have the same relationship with like the Rankin Bass specials, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 you could look at that and be like, wait, okay, a, a a a wizard becomes nice and loses his powers, but all he has left is corn that makes reindeer fly. I mean, like mm-hmm. you know, you could you could dissect that one as well, but we grew up with it, so it just it's 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 part of it's canon for us, you know, right. No, I agree completely. And I think that's what a lot of people, whenever I find something that someone else grew up with, I'll make some joke about it and someone will come back with, oh, I really love that because I saw it. Yeah. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. Well, let's move on to the next one. Very different. Um, It's called Some of My Best Friends Are. And it's not one that I think most people would think of as on their list of Christmas movies. Maybe if you want to describe that one. Sure. Um, This was a gay feature film in an era in which there were not a lot of them. And I always kind of make the joke. It's 1971. I would say that uh, uh, American International Pictures wanted, you know, they they lived to sort of rip off more successful movies. And so they decided they needed a boys in the band. So they got some of my best friends are. Uh, It is set entirely on Christmas Eve in a gay bar in New York City. And this is the... I mean, we're still talking the immediate post Stonewall era, Uh, you know, gay life for a lot of people was still something that was very occluded and hidden. And, you know, if they found out about it at work, you you could be fired. And, um, you know, there was a societal price to pay for being out of the closet. So so this was, you know, you can there's a sense of of camaraderie, but also a sense of panic, I think, Mm -hmm. among the the people there. I had lunch with a group of college professors from Princeton. I don't think I had a word they said. So, all the 
A pre-chorus saying, we know about you. Mr. Hart, we know all about you. But then it's not you and I that torments you. It's all the theys you feel responsible to. After I left you that night, before I went to bed with Claire, I took a hot shower. It was probably the hottest shower I've ever taken in my life. I soaked myself over and over again. But whatever it was I was trying to wash away, this wouldn't be cleansed with soap and water. In a way, it, it is an interesting sort of like ethnographic slice of that moment. But it is a, it's it's fairly broadly melodramatic. There's a lot of there's a lot of little subplots. It, it's kind of like I don't know. It's Iceman cometh for dummies. Maybe it's you know just these little sort of mini stories that are going on. Um, uh, a lot of future TV stars pop up in this movie. Uh, Gil Gerard plays a, a hunky airline pilot. Uh, Rue McClanahan is this sort of like evil. Um, well, uh, back in the day, they called them fag hags, but I, I try to avoid that term. So I usually go with fairy princess. But anyway, like woman who hangs out with gay men and and and, and often tries to sort of like seduce them, you know, as some sort of trophy. Um, Fanny Flagg is the hat check girl. Um, you have oh, Gary Sandy from WKRP plays this like rather vicious hustler who winds up beating up um, uh, 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 uh is it Candy Darling, right? Um, I think, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. plays the, yeah. Uh, who, who, who plays a drag queen. Um, After a really surreal sort of, I mean, he's drunk or he says he's stoned. I don't know if he took something, but there's, they have this really trippy scene where he starts to see everyone in the bar with, all kinds right. of and, 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 she's, and she sort of imagines this moment where he's going to like take her out of there and sort of like elevate her status and you know everyone's uh, looking at you them and Jimmy adoringly Boy are gonna go up there and make our own trip huh? I didn't like anything until I'm at I am asking <laughs> just let me check my lipstick first in case anybody comes oh, in there ain't anybody cutting in Go ahead, Karen. I'll keep an eye on your drink. Thanks, Al. How do I look? Oh, you're beautiful, baby. You're just, uh, just beautiful. Never heard me hear that again. He called me beautiful. I am. You are just, just beautiful. Uh, but yeah, but it's, you know, it, 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 the thing is, it's also, you know, because it's a 1971 game movie, it all ends horribly. Like there's just like one tragedy after another right. one. And, uh, I think Vito Russo in, uh, in the celluloid closet said that at the time it seemed offensive, but if you look at it now, it's just hilarious because it's, it is so overwrought. I, I saw this movie the, for the first time in the nineties in a theater and an, it was an outfest screening in a theater packed with gay men who were howling with laughter from start to finish. So, you know, it's the kind of thing where I'm sure at the time it was considered, Oh yes, this, you know, this moving exploration of this, you know, tragic subculture or whatever, but now it's, it, it, it it's considered to be kind of silly. And it is set at Christmas. Cause like we said, it all happens on one Christmas Eve night where they're all getting together. Um, really. And, and they even mentioned there's a whole scene where they talk about, you know, they are the family and they, they do, 
sort of weave through this all the typical kinds of Christmas things mm -hmm. that you would imagine. There's decorating, there's gift giving, there's singing carols, and they literally do all kind of gather around and sing carols. There's even, um, like I said, there's one, I couldn't, I don't, couldn't tell if he was a fallen priest or if he was just a really religious guy who has a little prayer or he's the one who starts right. singing the carols or whatnot and tries to sort of bring up, you know, the, the sort of the real meaning reason for the season kind of thing. Yeah. I, and, and I think, I think part of the, the use of Christmas there is to like accentuate, Oh, how sad and lonely these people are and they don't have families and they don't, you know, they, they have to sort of like huddle together to try and make this sort of thing work. But I think also Christmas in a lot of times in movies is just sort of there as a reason to, gather people together whether it's you know estranged family members or you know that kind of thing and, and so it, it's more just this notion of there's a heightened sense of loneliness and need for community on christmas eve even more so than than would be standard in that era well a, a cool thing about uh, some of my best friends are is that it was all but impossible to find for a very long time um but it's now streaming on uh, amazon prime um, and it even aired on TCM this year. So oh, wow. uh, I, I, I have my fingers crossed for like a physical media release, but it is definitely more accessible than it has been in decades. Yeah, I actually watched it on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a very like dodgy copy that I got. It uh, it aired on Logo in like the first week that Logo was was up and running, which, mm. you know, kind of led me to believe, oh, wow, they're really going to plumb the archives and like find some cool stuff. And that didn't last. But uh, <laughs> they did. They did at least bother to, to, to share this with the world when they when they were just out of the gate. Well, then totally switching gears um, yet again, we go back to one called the Magic Christmas Tree. And this one I first found on, again, through Rift Tracks, but it quickly became something that I had to watch completely by itself just to get the mood. Because <laughs> when you watch it without them sort of commenting and making jokes through the whole thing, you realize how slow parts of this thing are. Oh, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's it's only an hour long, here. <laughs> but there's a whole two minute two and a half minute section where a dad is just trying to get a lawnmower started and he's <laughs> literally doing exactly the same thing on screen over and over and over. Um, and it's not even, they're not even really like pulling it for laughs. He's not doing much other than sort of getting mad and missing. So um, yeah, it, amateur theater, <laughs> amateur cinema is, is definitely what it seemed like. Yeah, this this is one of those movies where, uh, you know, I would look on IMDb and it was everybody's sole credit. <laughs> like, I think the guy who plays the giant at the end of the movie did some Star Trek episodes, but beyond that, like literally the the writer, the director, the producers, the the actors, like none, nobody ever did anything cinematic ever again. Well, I love actually how you describe it in the book, and that's one thing I'm gonna I'm gonna read your if you don't mind. Oh, I gotta read part of that. So okay, it's hard to do justice to the flat out looniness of this low budget movie, but the story features such an odd mix of the occult bad slapstick comedy and elementary school surrealism that one wonders if this nutty tale wasn't really churned out by an 11 year old writer hopped up on Bosco. And I think that's totally accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, to you, you watch this and you're like, who, who made this? Who did they make it for? And you know, yeah. how desperate were people just like, you know, you mentioned somebody in like late October getting the call. All right. I need a Christmas feature to put out on the kitty matinee circuit you know, and we can we can we can pair it with this like you know um, uh, Fleischer uh, Rudolph cartoon. So if it's an hour, that's fine. Go, 
You know? Yeah. And the parts of it don't fit together all that well. Like there's a whole first section about three little boys who are talking about Halloween. Yeah. And one goes, they're going to go sneak in and take a look at a witch's house or a woman they think is a witch. And a little boy falls while he's trying. He gets possibly, you know, concussed <laughs> yeah possibly concussed and because he's climbing up the tree to to get this witch's cat and then when he wakes up the movie's in color right and which has been black and white before and she hands him a ring and gives him a spell that will bring him a magic christmas tree and they haven't mentioned christmas before at this point it's been halloween they, they even work in thanksgiving like he has to he has to right he has to bury the seed under the carcass of the thanksgiving turkey or something now listen this is a magic ring Magic, yes. Within that ring is a secret compartment, and within that compartment is a magic seed. If you plant this seed beneath the wishbone of a Thanksgiving turkey in the dark of the moon, a magic tree will grow. And when the tree is full grown, it will grant you three wishes. I don't understand all this. Don't try to understand. Just follow instructions. And so Thanksgiving comes finally, and he does, and the, the tree just pops into existence. There's a long conversation the next morning between the mom and dad about whether or not this tree had been there. And the mom's just like, how could you not remember planting a tree? And the dad doesn't seem particularly bothered that there's a tree that just popped overnight. And in fact, had was so oblivious that he ran the lawnmower into it somehow yeah like because he i guess he, he does the whole thing by sense memory now right yeah so um so there's all that and then the real story if there is an extra one gets started later when the tree tells the little boy and at this point i think we're actually more than halfway through the movie yeah um that he gets three wishes right and so he does his three wishes and the first one is an hour of power <laughs> which you know even for a kid it seems like that was a little out of left field but yeah he gets an hour of power and then what he does is he makes it day and then runs around basically making cars and trucks drive around without drivers and having two people throw pies at each other. Yes. And that's how he spends his hour of power. Because, you know, when you've got three wishes, you really want to make them all count. You know? Right. And I, I like, too, how when he first did them, he kind of had no idea what to do. And the tree, <laughs> who speaks in a very sort of... Um, I don't know. It's not really Charles Nelson Riley, I guess, it, but it's, it's very it's sort of fey, you know. It, yeah, it, there, yeah. There was that whole brand of like mid-century American comedians who were clearly gay, but this is, society had no room to say that, so they were always flamboyant, you know. Your your right. your Billy DeWolf's, your Paul Lynn's, <laughs> your um, you know the the guy who played uh, the head writer on uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. Hey, gosh, wow! Oh. I do look rather handsome, don't I, boy? You're beautiful. Thank you very much. Now, what can I do for you? What do you mean? Well, you have three wishes coming to you. Just tell me what they are, say the magic words, turn the ring, and I shall grant them for you. And so the tree grants him that wish, but it, but is kind of bored with the whole thing, um, which seems odd. It just seems oddly out of character about why the why this tree would be so bored with what's going on. Um, and then the boy comes back and decides he wants Santa Claus all to himself. Yeah. And I love that Santa just literally sits in a chair. Like the whole time he's on screen, he's just sitting in what could well just be like a, you know, a fold up chair right, right next to the tree. Um, and then the little boy, like, uh, he's like happy he has Santa and then goes out hunting. 
for some reason. Uh, yeah, I, th- th- this gets very confusing, even in a movie that's already made no sense at all. Right, because now it's day. Like, I thought it had been Christmas eve night or i can't remember exactly and yeah because the rest of the family has gone out to do their christmas shopping on christmas right. eve night as you do right but then he takes his rifle and goes off and is like oh darn there's no squirrels or something to shoot and that's when he meets a giant and um basically is like i'm the embodiment of greed and now you have to live with me forever because you've been greedy and scares the little boy scared you didn't i boy who are you you know me boy you know me well. You gave in to old greed last night when you forced Santa Claus to give you so many gifts. I'll give them all back. It's too late. You're my little boy now. No, I'm not your little boy. You are my little boy. Help, pull me down, pull me down. You're going to stay here in the forest with me. He goes back and uses his last wish to set everything right. I mean, one could make a case that this movie is operating in nightmare logic because it turns out it is all something that he made up after bumping his head falling out of the tree. But Mm -hmm. I don't think the movie knows that it's doing that. That's that's a generous reading. No, it definitely has the feel of the movies that we probably all made when we were kids where you start with one scene and then you have to make something that follows after exactly, it in the yes. next scene and you don't exactly know where it's all going, but you just kind of keep adding the things together. And um, yeah, so then it's and then it's over and then the tree lives off in the forest somewhere and it was all kind of a dream, but not. <laughs> and then I guess he's back in Halloween. Yeah, definitely a fever dream kind of feel yeah. to what's going on. And I mean, short but... enough that, like, you know, you, you can just, you you know, a gog only lasts for so long. But I think an hour you can swing that. You can do, yep. Especially if you flip through, like, the the minutes of him messing with the lawnmower yes. and the, the minutes of the little boys creeping around and complaining how they have a, a rock in their shoe because they're scared to go to the witch. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no attempt to move things along. You can totally speed up the hour of power because, like, that looks like it was probably meant to be sped up anyway and maybe have, like, yakety sacks under it. So you know. Right, right. Well, you have lots more stuff in the book. There's, Like I said, there's a whole chapter of just the, the, the bad ones. Um, but you've also got a, a good list of so many different ones, a bunch that I had not heard of okay. and that I have hunted down, which was what I was hoping for. Yeah, no, no. That, you know, it, the, what, one of the things that was so great about writing it was, was in doing the research, you know, kind of going down these rabbit holes and finding out, oh, I didn't know about this. I'd never heard of this movie. Um, uh, when I wrote it, there were still some video stores left in Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, we saw the videos, but that's one of the few that are remaining. But uh, Rocket Video on on uh, La Brea, which is sadly uh, R.I.P., uh, the staff there was great because the, like the second or third time I went in, again, in like the summer, you know, and renting all of these Christmas Carol movies, they were like, what are you doing? And so <laughs> when I told them, then they started giving me these really great suggestions. Like, I didn't really know about The Silent Partner. I didn't know about, um, you know, quite a few other ones. And so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that in the same way that, you know, like for, for me growing up, my parents' record collection was, you know, music in its entirety. You know, we had like three Christmas albums. And so then it wasn't until later that I found out that, oh, it's not just, you know, Bing, Andy and Dean, like there's Ella Fitzgerald and there's, you know, all this other great stuff. And I think with movies, you know, we we kind of go to our go-tos every year. And it's like, yes, I believe me, I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year without fail. Um 
you know, luckily I live in Los Angeles where I can see it projected. Uh, but you know, there are, I think you know, people have their like, you know, they, they want to see Elf, they want to see Christmas Vacation, whatever. Uh, but this book really kind of, I, I think, will will hopefully throw at you some that you've either never heard of or never thought of in this context. Uh, and you know, they they can be kind of a fun alternative. Like, oh no, maybe this year we'll watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, or we'll watch, you know, uh, um, I'll be seeing you or whatever. Um, you know, and and so that that's what kind of the categorizations are about. Like, do you like classics are you in the mood for a comedy are you a horror buff do you like action you know uh there is a christmas movie for you and more horror christmas movies than you would have thought there's enough for a chapter uh, definitely yeah because i i'm not a horror guy so like that that definitely was an eye-opening uh experience and you know i i, I i'm sure there are there are buffs out there who will uh, be unhappy about some of the exclusions, but I do have an appendix where I try and really include like every, as much as I can get my hands on. Um, you know, I'm a wimp. I couldn't, I tried to get through maniac. I couldn't do it. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's in the appendix cause it is absolutely a Christmas movie and you know, as, as horrifying as it is. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about the Black Christmas remake cause my friend April Wolf co-wrote it. So, uh, oh, wow. that should be interesting to check out. Well, cool. Well, it was originally published in 2010. Yes, if I'm remembering correctly. Any plans for a new version or a new edition? Uh, I would love to. I am sort of still kind of like getting this one out into the world in a lot of ways. But gotcha. you know, um, certainly, you know, on on shows like this and and you know, for reviews that I write at the Wrap, you know, I'll talk about uh, more recent titles. But yeah, at some point, I would love to sit down and you know, because I think in the last decade, you know, there have been a lot of uh, really entertaining ones like i really enjoyed arthur christmas i really like better watch out um one that's out right now in theaters and streaming called feast of the seven fishes that i think is quite charming so um Ooh, i don't know that one uh yeah it's a new one um indie film it stars Skylar gizondo who was in book smart and madison eisman who was in she's in the new jumanji movies and she was in the last um annabelle film and it's uh, set in 1983 in the Rust Belt and, you know, this town with where the Italian families all do the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And it's, you know, a couple of college students falling in love. Um, got some fun character actors like Joe Pantoliano and Lynn Cohen. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. And it's a, it, it is getting some theatrical, but you can already, you know, stream it on Apple or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I recommend that one for sure. Well, thank you so much for this, for chatting about uh, these three. And for everyone else, if you do want to get the book, I highly recommend it. Lots of great commentary on the movies, too, in addition to just finding out about the new movies. Oh, I appreciate it. So thank you very much for talking. Thanks for having me. This was a treat. All three of the movies are available on YouTube. They may be on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, but I have no idea when you're listening to this, and they may not be later on. But hey, you know how to use the internet. There's a significant portion of you right now probably pissed off because I haven't given out the results of the writing contest in this show. Stay pissed. I'm not done yet, but it's coming. For everyone not pissed at me, I have a favor to ask. If you remember or just have or even want to record just an absolutely terrible rendition of a Christmas standard, send it to me. Someone out there must have some hidden karaoke recording of yourself from high school or an embarrassing home movie of you singing a Christmas solo totally out of tune at some school function, or maybe you used to think you had talent and actually recorded something. But if you want to share, DM me on social media or email me at weirdxmas at gmail.com. If I can get enough wonderful, terrible Christmas songs, I want to make something special. It kind of depends on whether or not there's enough out there. 
Follow the cards on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and if anybody knows something other than ifthisthenthat.com, the IFTTT thing, let me know about how to do all your social media stuff together, because I'm having some trouble this year with Facebook. Keeps losing things. Don't know why. But I share all sorts of odd Christmas cards all season long. And I know I ask a lot, but if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it really means a lot, and I show up higher in the list when people search for Christmas. Send me an email or DM after you do it with your address, and I'll send you a real honest-to-goodness weird postcard. Also, as I've said, I'm trying Patreon this year. If you don't know what that is, it's a site where you make a small monthly donation, as little as two bucks, for extra content from me. These podcasts will always be free, but I'm doing extra ones over on Patreon, as well as other little goodies like sending out real cards year-round. But check out patreon.com slash weirdchristmas. The cash helps me cover all the hosting fees and bits of equipment. It's also the only way I can really justify doing this all year round. I mean, it takes a lot of time and money. I mean, forget the money. Do you know how much time it takes to make this crappy little show? I don't, because my sense of time's so screwed up from all the no-dos that I have to keep downing to stay up for all hours of the night editing the things after my real job. And kids going, Daddy, we miss you. Please leave the computer. And my wife demanding attention. I mean, I don't know how guys like Alonzo do it with multiple shows, but now I can finally get some sleep. In the meantime, don't let... You know what? I'm tired of saying that thing every show. So I got someone else to say it. Until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. Let us all now sing our praises to the Lord today. Although you may not share our belief system, which is perfectly okay. Maybe you worship an abstract being that is kind of vague. Or maybe you just worship a guy whose name is Greg. Perhaps your religion doesn't include a time called Lent. But whatever your religion is, we support you 100%. So sit around the fire and have a chestnut roast. Or raise a glass in toast to happy days, Donnie Most. But if you prefer to eat Indian food on Christmas Day, I can only shrug my shoulders and say, Namaste, namaste. Personally, I prefer prefer turkey, gravy, and salad. But let's never forget, forget. all cultures are valid. So let's have peace on earth and cut out all the bull. Let's have a holiday season that's multicultural. If there's one point we'd like to make with this festive holiday song, It's that Christmas comes just once a year, so for a few days for crying out loud, can we all just get along? Wow. That was actually pretty good. That was great.